Hello, Joe. How you doing? And you're well, welcome to this week's um, sports management podcast. So, I suppose um, we we can start off. We're going to be discussing transfers um, this week, and uh, there's a lot of activity around uh, at the moment, isn't there, Joe? Yeah, it's a very busy time at the moment um, because the transfer window opens at the beginning of January. And it lasts for the full month. You've got to do quite a lot of prep work beforehand in terms of looking what clubs are looking for players, what the requirements are, checking if the players you know, would be happy moving there. And there's all sorts of logistical things to look at as well. So it's quite a busy time. That's it. And it also it's also important, I suppose, not only about the player that a that a club wants, but also you know the style of um, the style of play that the player is suitable to. Like, I mean, do, it does it suit the way the club play? You know, the style of football and e- even down to the tactics that the club plays. So, I mean, the reputation of the player is one thing, but it also has to. It also revolves around things like that, little details like that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's the big thing as well is making sure the club they're going to, like you say, play the right style of football that fits in with them. You know, the manager looking, is he on rocky ground? Could, you know, because you, you could go to a club and after a few games, the manager could be shown the exit door and then you've got a player there that a new manager might not fancy. And there's all sorts of different ramifications and things you really need to make sure are right before, you know, you can progress with any kind of transfer to a new club. That's it, and as well as that, there's also, um, you know, so for for young players, the the fact of getting trials with big club with clubs as well, like we said, the bigger clubs in in the league in England as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So we've got a couple of players who are contracted to clubs at the moment, but their contracts are coming to the end in the summer. So it's a case of trying to look at what options are out there for them. Because they want to progress to their hungry players, they want to push themselves and, and and see how far they can go. So it's getting the right balance between aiming too high and then not getting game time, or not playing at the right level where they don't feel challenged and and don't develop as much. Because again, it's just get trying to find the right balance between game time and and the challenge that they face at the club. That's it, and of course it's. Uh... Not only about it's not only about like does the player fit the club, but also the club has to fit the, what the player is looking for, and things like that. And I suppose really, you know, another thing that can 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 decide things as well will be you know what the player's history is with regards to injuries and the types of injuries and things like that. That can also uh, be a big factor as well. But usually, you know, if a player is good enough and and they look after themselves and they're they're fit. You know, there shouldn't be any problem with. Uh, it shouldn't be a, a factor in the player, like maybe not go, not getting the transfer, or the transfer not going through, or I suppose then there's the medical end of things as well. You know, the the medical, which is part of, uh, which is done before signing a contract. All these little things as well. Yeah, that's it as well. Again, you need to look at the clubs as well because there could be. You know, climate things. So if you've got something that's going to a country that's a lot warmer than we are, or a country that's a lot colder than we are, <clears throat> it all impacts on if you've got a previous injury or muscle strains, you're more susceptible to cramping during games and dehydration, things like that. So, so many things you have to consider when when looking at 
at a new club. And like you say, with the medicals as well, there's quite a lot there. You need to make sure, you know, any niggles and, and the players are looking after themselves every way possible so that there's no problems that crop up when you get to the final stages of, of a deal. That's it. And there, there's also the factor of, um, you know, I suppose in the current climate as well with COVID and all that. And I know that there's the whole thing about the vaccine and things like that. But there's also like players arriving from different countries or players going from England to Ireland or other countries as well, either coming in or leaving leaving um, England. You know, with the whole thing about that, with the, the COVID virus, you know, with the... Um, you know, does a, does a player have it or did a player have it or what, you know, that, that plays a factor in uh, the medical end of things as well. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So again, a couple of the players that we have are looking at options in Europe and further afield. So it's difficult to know because some leagues have been put on hold, other leagues have resumed again and, and then there's all the different things with even Brexit as well. So... Um, that the rules are changing about players coming from abroad into England. It's going to be like a, a scoring system and various different formulas that you can apply. So, so many things up in the air that if you are looking to play in Europe or further afield, it's just that much more difficult to get the deals done. That's it. And there, there's also like the thing of very young players, maybe you know, teams abroad now that they might see a very talented young lad playing for a club over over in England and they, they might want to buy them. Now, it is very daunting for a very young player that has never been away from home or never been outside of England to go to a, somewhere that's a whole new culture. And I suppose that's that's the help she offers as well. Like, that would, um, you know, help them to settle in and, you know, because they're away from family, they're away from friends. There could be the language barrier. There's all these things for a, a player that's very young from, I suppose, any from 17 or whatever upwards. Isn't that a case? Yes. Bad players that have, have looked to go abroad. And what we do with them is, is we do a lot of work beforehand in, if a club expressed an interest in a player, I would obviously make the player aware and say, you know, this club have expressed an interest. But then I would do a lot of homework myself in terms of looking at, what the club can offer in terms of a support network. So will they give you the transport to and from, you know, somewhere to stay, meals? Is there going to be somebody at the club that can help you settle in? Is there somebody assigned to Is there other people at the club that, that speak English? Are there other English players there? Um, so that you don't want the player to feel isolated in the middle of nowhere because they're not going to be able to give their best because they don't feel the best. So, before, again, before we go down the long road of negotiating a deal, I'll say to them, right, this is what the club can offer. This is what it's like to live there. This is the cost of things. This is where you'll be staying. It's this far from this city or just to give them the full picture. So then they, and then with, through talking with them and knowing them as a person, you can engage if what the club can offer is going to be something that they can do for one or two seasons or if they're going to struggle after a few weeks like being homesick or you know feeling isolated or things like that that's it and uh, there's also the thing of you know with players that you know that they have um 
you know, they might they, they need to feel they need to feel comfortable and things like that. And you know, it's uh, I suppose really you could sign um, you could sign the player or the player could might sign the, sign a contract and then after a couple of weeks or something maybe they, they find that they're not settling in, but they've uh, they've uh, a contract signed and uh, you know there, there's little there's little there's little things like that as well and. But I suppose, really, with regards to contracts, as you you know, as a man that deals with these things as well, uh, we all we all remember the the Bosman ruling that you know when the player is coming within six months of an of an end to his his or her contract, that they you know they have the right you know even if they're offered a deal by their current club they do, they don't have to accept it and in that case there's nothing really the club can do unless they can sweeten the deal beyond but some players. Maybe they're at a club, and no matter what the club offers, they just they're not unhappy. I suppose an example of that would be uh, Paul Pogba at Man United. Now, um, apparently, he's very unhappy. You know, obviously, that's probably down to to game time, and he just wants to get away to another club. And uh, you know, I suppose you see, he he um, he was in the club as well at youth level, and then then he went over to he went over to Italy, and then he came back to United. But then since he came back then there's been a few changes in management and things like that but things just don't seem didn't seem to be working out for him under an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so um, I, I don't know what his contractual obligations are whether he's still under contract or what the story is but that, you know that these little things can play in, play on a player's mind as well Yeah I think there's a lot going on there behind the scenes isn't there in terms of what he wants or what he's being guided by, really, because it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, if he was playing eight, nine out of ten every week, you know, you could justify him wanting to move abroad, but you know, back to PSG or, or Barcelona or Real Madrid, wherever he wants to go. But his performances, you know, he has one good game, many average games. He's out with injuries. He's, he's here, there, everywhere, and it's just. It's not what Man United need at the moment, I don't think. So I think if they can cut, if they can get somebody to, to bid for him, and, and and he can get that transfer away, the player is going to be happier, and I think the club will be a lot more happier as well. But that's it. But it, it also like his performances are lack of due to whether he's playing or not, or not playing that much. That can also affect his transfer fee as well. So they, you know, you might buy a player for. We say, we say fifty grand, but if he's or fifty million, but then like I mean, if he hasn't been making the appearances or if his form is poor, then that'll affect. He, he, they could end up. They they might want to get rid of him, or he might want to go. Um, but because of his performances or lack of appearances, you know, they might only be able to get thirty million for him or something like that. You know, so that that could come into play with him as well. Yeah, I think with the money side as well, with COVID, I mean, there's a lot of clubs that are on the verge of oblivion, like Real Madrid, Barcelona, they're absolutely broke and they've not got the money anymore to go out and, and buy these players. So I think the market will reflect that in that a lot of... Because normally you get one or two big deals in the transfer window and when that big deal goes through for the, the club that sold the player, they've then got a pot of money and they might go and buy three or four players with that money and it filters down. But I think with less and less big transfers, like big money we've seen 
the previous two years or so, I think that will have a knock-on effect where the, the deals will be smaller. A lot of players will stay at clubs to run their contracts down so that they can move to Barcelona. It might be a year or two later, but they can then get a lot more money because there's not a big transfer fee involved. So there'll be a lot more Bosmans, I think, in the next year or two. That's it, isn't it? That's it. And of course, there's the, there's the question of the wages as well and um, many other aspects. And I suppose sponsorship, you know, potential sponsorship deals and things like that, depending on the, um, I suppose, depending on what the, the deal is as well. So there's, uh, I suppose, play, players have to factor that in. But then, of course, there's the, the other opportunities, depending on the stage that a player is at. I mean, if he's coming towards the end of his career, he'd be kind of saying, well, like if he goes to another club, maybe that is it worth going to another club to play a few seasons. But then again, if he does that, is there coaching opportunities or is he as well off to kind of stay at the current club and they, they might give him, they might, uh, well, I suppose he, he'd have to be doing his uh, coaching badges anyway um, from, from that end of things, uh, you know, the, UEFA B license, A license, and then the pro license before he'd be able to get that. But uh, you know, I mean, if a player has been long term at a at a club, his chances of securing kind of his coaching badges at that club might be better. Well, yeah, that's that's the big thing that we look to do is with players that are at all stages. We would work with a player and say to them, "You always need to plan for your future." So, you know, you don't know next week. You know, you. Obviously, you, you don't wish this to anybody, but they could suffer a bad injury and that's the end of their career. So we always say to the players that you should have a plan of what you want to do after your career finishes um, and then start putting the, the building blocks in place to, to get where you want to be. So a player might think, I want to move into media work. I'd like to w- work in coaching. I'd like to move into this area, that area. So we can work with the player to start getting in touch with people in that field that they're interested in just to get a feel for it and see if it's what they want to do. Just so then they've got a plan because you see it all the time, players that finish playing, if they've not got a plan in place, they miss that day-to-day contact with the players. They miss the routine. They miss the feel of the belonging. So what we try and do is get something in place where they've got something to focus on beyond playing so then there's not that hit of suddenly you know just all stops what do I do now where do I go that's it and of course looking at uh, you know someone that I interviewed last week there uh, for the first time there Sean Barrett uh, a UEFA a UEFA B licence going for his UEFA A licence and hopefully his pro licence and uh, you know, I suppose he, he, he from a, from talking to him, it was very interesting because, you know, from an early age, obviously his father played for QPR and that, so it was always going to be in the genes that he was going to follow his dad into playing football. But, you know, he, he played for several clubs and that, and then uh, he developed an interest in coaching as well. And uh, he did well. He got his FA level one and level two, and then he's he got his uh, UEFA B licence and, he was saying he's working on his UEFA A license, and you know, hopefully that'll take him on. He was saying to the uh, the pro license, so there's a great future for him in the game because he's still uh, in coaching terms. He's still a very yeah. young, yeah, yeah, 
uh, coach, I suppose. And uh, so he has loads of potential and plenty of time to work on all those. And who knows what could happen, wh- where that would lead him in the future. Exactly. Yeah. So he's, he's done it the right way in terms of he's had a plan. And uh, once he's retired from football, he's got into the coach and he's got, he spent the extra time in, you know, doing the groundwork of actually coaching players, but then doing the, the background stuff of, of, of getting the badges as well. So that obviously all that hard work he's put in will pay off in the future as you know develops and works towards the UEFA license and things like that. So yeah, definitely, really promising future there. And how, yeah, and how do you find him to work with? He seems from from what I was talking to him, he he seemed to be a very nice guy, and I, I'd imagine a very easy client to work with from uh, from from your yeah, point. Yeah, perfect. Of view. Yeah, because we talk, we speak every day. You know. Not necessarily in a phone call, but it could be through a Twitter message, WhatsApp message, whatever. We're constantly in touch, looking at different options that are open of, you know, other clubs he can work with or other things that we can do. So we're always in touch. So he's really, you know, a good guy to work with, really. Positive guy, you know, and I say he's got a good future in, in the game as well. And I think it's key as well when you're a coach to uh, he seems to have the right philosophy and some philosophy and the right ideas when it comes to how he how he handles players and uh, I suppose that the key was that he started off with kind of underage teams as well and kind of worked up to a first team which is good because then you 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 get to learn about all aspects of coaching then from all exactly angles. and as well um, listening to the podcast well it was good in terms of the flexible approach he has to games as well. So, you know, I've worked, when I played football, you know, you work with coaches and they're quite rigid in in their approach to the game, where it's just the same week in, week out, you know, and, and you can see things aren't necessarily working out, but with his approach, see, it's flexible where he will use the analysis. He'll look at the other teams, what strengths they've got, what weaknesses they've got, and then work with the players he has to formulate a plan of how best to try and win the game. So that's what players like as well, because they know that the the squad has got, rather than just having the same bog standard formation with the same players week in, week out, the squad will know that he will pick a team that will be able to win that game using the right tactics, the right players, all the strengths. So that, I think that's what squad likes. It's not that's it, say rigid and boring and stale. It's it's different all the time. Yeah, that's it. And of course, uh, from from his point of view, like you know, you, you pick your sometimes you, you if you as you were just saying there, you can one coach will just have the same tactics week in week out, and right bar injuries or um, yellow you know suspensions that might have to change one or two players due to those, but. Uh, you know, tactics-wise, regardless of whether personnel changes or ta- you know, they'll still stick to the same t- the same tactics. But uh, as you said there about Sean, it's good that he kind of he cha- he can change the he can change the style or the tactics depending on the opposition yeah. as well. But I suppose <clears throat> looking at that too, if you have a standard way of of playing the game, uh, sometimes and even if you have if you think you have the tactics right and you have the right personnel and you're playing well actually during the game it's key that you're, you're able to spot the switches that you you make either 
like a player moving a player from one position to another, you know, as regards tactics or we say having to make tactical substitutions as well. And uh, he seems the type of guy that's that that will be good. That's good at spotting those kind of things as well, which is key. Um, you know, because sometimes these things can have to be done under pressure. Exactly. Yeah. That that's it. The the, the top managers they're the ones that can watch something for 50, 60 minutes and then they can just make one or two changes, tweak it slightly and it's done. And I remember the best example of that was, uh, I think it was Tottenham versus Juventus in the Champions League and Allegri, you know, it was like a, a nil, I think it was nil-nil, a very tight game and then Allegri made one change, like 60th minute, three minutes later, so he changed the player, changed the style, five minutes later brought a different player on, changed the style again and they got two goals quite quickly, and then that was it, game over. You know, Tottenham couldn't do anything at all. And, and you know, that, that shows that the guy had a plan, and he's tweaked it slightly, carried out his, you know, his plan of how he wants the game to go, and they secure the victory, and away they go. So that's what the top, top bosses do, really. That's it. And on uh, tomorrow, I'm doing an interview with with another one of your clients, uh, Javi Bravo, uh, a goalkeeper based in Spain, and uh, a very good. I've been like doing my research into him, and I've been um, you know talking to him online, online, and different things like that. Seems to be a very a very nice guy. Unfortunately, he's uh, he's out he's out of contract or whatever, and he's looking for another. Um, another club as well but uh, you know a goalkeeper is kind of a very specialised position and I suppose what are the differences of, from your point of view uh, between kind of finding um, we say goalkeeper a goalkeeper new clubs a, a new club and an outfield player is one easier than the other or are they about are, are both of them same kind of ease are they both easy enough or, or have they got uh, they both got equally difficult and easy kind of um, things when it comes to finding a player, a goalkeeper or an outfield player. Uh, yeah, I think club. with that, with goalkeepers, the, the nature of their position is that a goalkeeper could make 10 really good saves in a match. And then one of the shots could be a really straightforward one. It could bobble over his hand in the goal and the team lose 1-0. Now, they won't remember the 10 saves he's pulled off. They'll remember that one mistake. And the thing with a goalkeeper yeah. is that, you know, if you make a mistake, 99% of the time it's punished with the other team scoring a goal. So with clubs, again, they only normally have two, maybe three goalkeepers of a senior age, and then they'll complement that with a couple of the youth goalkeepers. So it's more difficult in that there's less opportunities so clubs normally have a regular number one and a backup keeper that they're quite loyal to and then it can be difficult to get goalkeepers into clubs but then by that by that same nature though again by checking through football results are struggling if you look at teams that aren't doing so well or conceding a lot of goals you can normally have conversations with the clubs, with the goalkeeping coaches, and just say, look, I've got this goalkeeper here. You know, he's been working hard, he's training, he's sharp, he's fit, ready to go. This is what he can do. And you, you try and get them to go in for some work with the goalkeeping coach. 
and just see how he compares to what they've got. And, and that's a good way of securing a deal for the goalkeeper. That's it, because, I mean, really, I suppose a, a good example of goalkeepers will be um, looking at Cuevin Kelleher, a, a Cork lad. Um, he's, been at the, he's been at Liverpool for a while. Very few opportunities. He's been doing well at reserve level now, I have to say, because um, I've been following uh, following him. And, you know, he is kind of the third, or he was up until recently, the third choice keeper. Was still very young, but, uh, you know, it's, he, he got his chance ahead of Adrian last week against... Ajax and he, he played spectacularly. He was he was absolutely brilliant. And then as a result, then he actually nailed his place for last week's game for Sunday's match against Wolves. And you know, he hadn't as much to do, maybe, but he still he was still solid when when uh, you know, still I suppose, you know, telling keeping the defense in line and um directing them on what to do and things like that. And uh, I suppose when you compare that to Adrian. You know, he, he could make a brilliant save, but then he could make two, one or two uh, or three howlers as well. And is you know, there might necessarily be a keeper's fault. It could be like a defender that hasn't, that wasn't covering back on time or whatever. But um, still, like it could be a, a goalkeeper, the goalkeeper could be miss kicking or maybe, you know, different things like that. And, you know, as a, as a result, now he's he's gone down to third choice goalkeeper. So it just goes to show you what can happen with keepers. But fair play to Cuevin Kelleher for such a young guy. He's he's uh, getting successfully really quickly. Yeah, he's he? doing well. Yeah, I noted that he played in the the Champions League game, and I think it's good that he's given the chance to play. Um, because that that's the thing though. You know, he's a big club like Liverpool. He's learning so much working with you know top quality coaches, top quality players at the club. So it is good that he's he's given the chance and trusted, and he's shown what he can do, and that he you know he's one for the for the future really. That's it, and of course he's a modest sort of a lad as well. The way he comes across, um, you know, in in his interview after the game, um, after the Ajax game, and even like in the press conference after the the Wolves game, like he he was saying about the defense in front of him and and things like that as well. So. It's great to see it's great to see him doing well. So I'm but uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, the uh, bravo. He's um hopefully um hopefully he can get a, a club very soon because he seems like he seems like a nice guy and he seems honest and from you know from what I've read up about him and the research I've done, he seems to be a very good goalkeeper. It's but I, I suppose that's just the nature of football, really, you know. Um it's you know the it's down to whether a manager likes you. You could you could be the best goalkeeper in the world, but if the, if a manager doesn't take you, I suppose that's another. Exactly. Thing. I mean, he's got he's got the right approach to it in terms of you know, like you said there, you know, he's a brilliant guy. He's great to talk to, um, professional. So aside from being a good goalkeeper, he has all the attributes of what you'd need at the club. You know, so he's he's a team player, and he's approachable. You know, he's. Always got a smile on his face. Works hard in training. Um, it's everything that you need. The complete player. Everything that you need. You know, Javi Bravo has that in terms of he would be an asset to any club that would sign him. Really, that's it. And hopefully, hopefully he'll um, he, he'll find he'll find a new club soon. Have there have have there been any offers for him or any clubs interested in him so far? Or is he still waiting yeah. for that? I mean, when I've spoken with, with clubs in, in Europe, there's been interest in him. 
but then they can't really commit to anything because some of the leagues were not playing or they say the money, the budgets, and, and they're just waiting until the transfer window opens to see where they're at in terms of if a player leaves, will they have this budget? If they sign this player, will they need this? Will they need that? So, you know, there are clubs that have expressed interest and spoken to us, but they can't commit to anything yet because they're just, it just, that's how it is at the moment. Nobody can say for certain what's going to happen. It's just makes that a little bit more difficult at times. That's it. Well, hopefully, hopefully he'll get a he'll get a contract in a new club very soon. And I'm sure, even though he's without a club at the moment, I'm sure he's still training away with a, a local side or something like that, just to kind yeah, of keep himself face and and training and things like that. Yeah, and um, of course, just to let let people know, um, this Saturday I'm also going to be doing um, an interview with another one of your clients. Um, Joe, or um, someone that, that works with she as well, Alessandro, a sports psychologist, and uh, you know, the method of uh, sports psychology that he uses is very interesting. So um, that, that'll that be another uh, interesting one, and we'll, t- we'll talk about that further in the in uh, next week's in Yes, next that's week's great, podcast. yeah. No problem, thanks very much. And uh, yeah, that was uh, Joe Jeffcott, and he is from, he's the CEO of 442 Sports Management Group, and of course, they are also our uh, AR Sports Therapy Clinic's um, official sports partner. Thanks very much for that, Joe. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Bye bye.